good to see you tonight, people. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And if you're here for the first time, as Andrea said, we give you an extra special welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Bless the Lord. Beginning to read at verse 7, the Lord Jesus is the speaker. And he says this. Matthew 18, verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore? If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into eternal fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our eternal Father again tonight, we thank you for the goodly number that you have brought out in such a a cold evening, dark and Dreary, Lord, yet your people have come out in faithfulness. And even for that, Lord, would you bless our meeting tonight. We ask it in your mercy and in your grace. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, and we do pray that he would become real to each and every one of us. And that your spirit would speak to hearts tonight. Glorify your Son. And hide this man. Hide him well behind the cross. And let Christ alone be seen and exalted and glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're speaking on the subject, one hand, one foot, and one eye. One hand, one foot, and one eye. The passage that we have read of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 7 to 9, the Lord Jesus being the speaker, speaks of cutting a hand, a foot, and plucking out of an eye. One hand, one foot, and one eye. Without a doubt, we can look at this and say it's grotesque to think of something like this literally happening in front of us. Imagine cutting off a hand. We know some countries, they still practice this, cutting off a foot, gouging out an eye. How uh, disturbing it would be if someone was to see that in real lifetime here this evening. Very upsetting. And yet the Lord Jesus speaks about it. The Lord Jesus said it is better for a man or for a woman to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one foot, with one eye, being maimed or halt, that is. The idea is being crushed. 
and disabled than being put into hellfire. We have to look at this because although he's speaking in a literal sense to give us, it's to hit the heart, to show us that that these things that Christ is speaking about are very, very important. Nothing just to glibly look at and move on from. And notice here, if you will, in this passage of Scripture, it seems almost violent to think of us. Surely it's uncivilized to do that. But what we want to do is show you something similar with the flesh and the spirit, for he's speaking here in a spiritual context. Yes, literally, this would happen at times, but in a spiritual context for you and I, for men and women this evening. Will you turn with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 6? John's Gospel, chapter 6. Again, the Lord Jesus is speaking. And if you would let your eye run down, we just have to skip across this for time's sake. The Lord Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Verse 53 Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Now take note, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Jesus is saying, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. But let's go on. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. And hence it is a sense in the literal sense of eating flesh, drinking blood at this point. And what he's saying is, then you're receiving me if that were to happen. Now please stay with me. This is important. Let's I run down to verse 60 just for time's sake. Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Notice the word again here, offend. If we have an offense to cut off the foot and the hand and pluck out the eye, here it is, Doth this offend you? And what if he shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Now take note of the end of all of this. The Lord Jesus He then clarifies it for everyone around. Notice, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Now take note, the flesh profiteth nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. So he's speaking spiritually, not literally. They are spirit and they are spirit life. So take note here, if you will, in Leviticus chapter 17, Leviticus chapter 17, and if you let your eye run down to verse 10, this is where everyone was being offended by the Lord because of what he said, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Sure, we keep the law, don't we, they say? We can't do that. Leviticus 17 and verse 10, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, notice, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now take note, 
and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. Verse 14, just for time's sake. For the life of of all flesh is the blood of it, is for the life thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. Now here's the thing, friends, tonight. If the Lord Jesus literally meant, eat my flesh, and literally to drink his blood, being the Son of God, he's just broken God's law. We've read it in Leviticus 17. If he meant to literally eat flesh and drink the blood. And hence everyone's going, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Because they were looking at the flesh. They were thinking with fleshy minds, unawake and unalert to the Spirit of God. That's the way many people are. And that's the way we all are before we are regenerated by the Spirit, before we are called to the cross that we might behold the Lord Jesus Christ and his death. And take note, if he meant it literally, then everyone had a right, for he was teaching them to break his father's law. But he wasn't meaning it literally. He said that the flesh profiteth nothing. Then he said, the words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit. In other words, catch the spirit of this. I don't literally want you to eat my flesh. Neither do I literally want you to drink my blood. And hence he asked them, doth this offend you? And they're offended. Why? Because they took it with carnal minds and unbelief. And they couldn't see it. You see, brothers and sisters and friends tonight, for example, in the Catholic Church in the Mass, they believe that little wafer of Water and flour turns into the literal body and blood, sinew and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Called transubstantiation. They believe it is literally receiving Jesus. We are eating his literal flesh. We are drinking his literal blood, they'd say. And hence we are receiving Jesus. Where Christ meant it in the spiritual sense. Christ meant it that a man and a woman must receive Jesus through the Holy Ghost. Must receive the blood that is looking to the blood, trusting in the blood, and believing that the blood of Jesus is enough to pay for our sin. It is spiritual and not carnal. It is spiritual and not of the flesh. And hence the Lord Jesus is saying these things. And they're saying, you, you're asking us to eat your flesh and to drink your blood. And he asked, doth this offend you? In fact, when the reformers, when they first came out from the times of Martin Luther to John Calvin, and even up to this day, uh, Zwingli and, uh, and different reformers, even they argued what, this, uh, what the mass was and what was the right way to break bread or to take the communion, as they called it. And some believed in different things. Some believed that there were actually literal qualities at the beginning. They believed in literal qualities 
when they broke bread and took communion of the actual presence of the Lord in the bread and the wine. They believed that, even some of the reformers. Now, when we break bread, we believe they are emblems and symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. But he's with us in spirit. We believe in his presence, being with the believers as we gather together. Brothers and sisters and friends, tonight Jesus said, Doth this offend you? And it offended them because they couldn't see the proper way in which Jesus was making it and speaking about it. Couldn't see the spirit of it. They couldn't see the glory of it. They couldn't see the wonder of it. But when the Holy Ghost came, started quickening souls, started quickening the spirits of men and women like you and like me, we can see the glories of Christ. We can see the wonders of the blood of the Lamb and the great sacrifice that he has made for us. Hence the Lord Jesus here asked, Doth this offend you? The word offend there means a lot here. Offend means a lot. It's the word scandalizo. Scandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal from. But listen to what it means in the Greek text. You ready? It gives the idea of a stumbling block, a stumbling block in your way. A stumbling block in your way. It gives the idea of some sort of hindrance, whether it's a man or a woman or something else. It gives the idea of a hindrance. It also gives the idea to cause one to be offended so as not to trust the one they're supposed to. It also gives the idea to hurt one's conscience. To hurt one's conscience. The Lord Jesus here is saying this. Am I hurting your conscience? Am I hurting your conscience? You were following me, now you're going back out of the way. You can't see what I'm saying to you. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They're not literal. They are spirit and they are life. Am I hurting your conscience? It's just such a great stumbling block that you can't see that I'm speaking in a spiritual context and in a spiritual manner that you will have to receive me into your heart to be saved. Does this make you put distrust in me, he says? Does this offend you? Does it impede you? Stumbling block. I ask you something tonight. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, is there someone or something that's a stumbling block to you tonight? The night I got saved, Pastor McConnell was preaching on obstacles. If you want to put a stumbling block there, obstacles that God puts in the sinner's road and stop them going to hell. Obstacles that God puts in the sinner's road to stop them going to hell. And I thought, he's got that wrong. Sure, isn't everybody going to heaven? I was a Presbyterian. Wasn't even a Presbyterian. I was a Presbyterian. It doesn't even go. I'm nothing but Tyrian. I wasn't saved. That's good, Oster Prod. 
knew nothing about it. Sure, I'm saved. We're all going to heaven. Such a lie. That was a stumbling block to me. A big stumbling block. But God loved me and loved you, brothers and sisters, so much that he put a stumbling block in our way to stop us going to hell. And tonight, if you're here, I'm a stumbling block to stop you going to a devil's hell. Whoever brought you has been a stumbling block to stop you going to a devil's hell because of the great love of God for you. The offense of Jesus' words caused many to walk away and leave him. But Jesus, speaking literally, pardon me, spiritually, not literally of flesh and blood. Jesus saying as well in our reading tonight, in Matthew 18, he says, cutting off the hand or the foot, plucking out an eye which causes one to be offended or which that which hinders us, that which impedes us, that which stops us. If you're not saved, it's that which hinders you, impedes you, stops you coming to Christ. Your family can be a stumbling block to stop you coming to Christ. Your wife can be a stumbling block, an impediment to stop you coming to Christ. Your workmate your neighbors your family whoever it may be can be a stumbling block listen your love for the drink and all all the things that are in the world can be a stumbling block to stop you coming to Christ but God tonight has put a stumbling block in your way to stop you going to hell God has put a great hindrance tonight right in front of you. God has placed a great impediment here tonight, right in front of you, to stop you being lost and damned forever. And boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Friend, what is the stumbling block that will stop you coming to Jesus tonight? Who is the stumbling block? Cut it off. Cut them out. And come running to the cross. Pluck it out if you have to. And that none hinder you from coming the Savior. You see, Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing in John 6. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Get the spirit of this tonight. This isn't just a meeting. This isn't just a group of people getting together because we have a fancy fool idea and we all think the same thing in our heads and so we come together to sing a little bit and it's a kumbaya sort of a meeting and we all go home, we've done our bit and we're all goody two-shoes the rest of the week. This is a walking, talking, living, breathing, love relationship with Christ. 
This is understanding there's a sovereign God in heaven before whom man will stand before. We understand that it's in this life. Tonight, God has placed a stumbling block of love in the sinner's rope. Stop you going to a devil's hell. He's also put a stumbling block on the saved's road. The walk with him every day as we traverse and travel with him. Put stumbling blocks and impediments in our way. He hinders us because sometimes he doesn't want us to go that way. To act that way. And sometimes we have still our stumbling blocks that we must remove out of the way. To give it over to Christ. To give it over to Christ. What is your stumbling block tonight, believer? Who's holding you back? Who's holding you back? If your hand or your foot offend you, or the stumbling block. Remember the spirit of this. Whatever that represents. Or the eye. Cut it off and cast it away. Or pluck it out as it were. Notice. Jesus says the flesh profiteth nothing. In John chapter 3. We have Nicodemus coming to the Lord Jesus by night. And after uh, the whole discussion in John chapter 3. And, and we, I can't read it for time's sake tonight, but after the whole discussion in John chapter 3, this, uh, this uh, religious uh, Jewish uh, Pharisee, he comes at night under the cover of darkness, probably because he wants none to know he's with the Nazarene. A secret disciple. But he comes and he starts asking questions of him. He says, Master, no man can do the things that thou doest except God be with him. That's what he says. And Jesus and he start to traverse in conversation one with the other. And Jesus tells him, except the man be born again. In John 3 and verse Three, except the man be born again, he cannot see or perceive or begin to see the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking. Can't even see it. Unless you're born again. Jesus said that. And then in verse 5 he says, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that is, born from above it means. Unless God the Holy Ghost comes down to a man and a woman and he drops himself into them and he stirs up their heart to waken the dead and to lift them from death unto life, from darkness unto light, then that man or woman are lost. Born from above. Born of God. He says, and accept a man is born again in verse 7. Except a man be born again, he cannot... Pardon me, verse 5. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7. Marvel not 
He says that I say unto thee, you must be born again. But listen to what he says in verse 6. Nicodemus, this man, allegedly spiritual, but more religious only, and he says it to Jesus, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Fleshy mind. Doesn't understand the things of God. A fleshy heart can't receive the things of God. Fleshy eyes. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says, how can a man when he is old enter into his mother's womb the second time be born again? Jesus says, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is flesh is flesh. But that which is spirit is spirit. Born of the spirit with life from above. Into God's family divine. Justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And it's because of that wonderful day when as a sinner I came, took off the offer, sin he did proffer. Praise him. What's the rest of it? Can anybody remember? What is it, Norman? He saved me. Thank you, Norman. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is speaking of spiritual matters. Jesus is speaking of spiritual things. You see, friends, if you don't know this, there is a spiritual world. And I'm not talking about all of these, let's go and sit in a medium and read palms and talk to mommy and daddy because that's demonic spirits. That's not your relatives that have gone on. That's not them. But there's a spiritual world. And there's a God in heaven. And that God is sovereign above all others and all things. The creator, the maker, the keeper, the sustainer of all things that ever there was and is. Not one God came down in flesh. In the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to you tonight, if all you can see is the flesh, then that's all you'll see. But if my spirit is speaking to you, you'll begin to see your need of him. You will begin to see your need of Christ. For without Christ, you're without hope. And you're lost for all eternity. Now the master uses the idea of a hand and a foot being cut off or severed. He also uses the idea of an eye being plucked out. And this seems to be and is barbaric. The pain, the hurt, the suffering, the sorrow, the agony, the gruesomeness. Oh, the blood. The blood. And while many wince and grimace with a self-distortion on their face, I want you to get this. Speak about these things, and if we were to bring someone here and they had their hand cut off in front of you, there'd be people screaming and yelling and shouting all over the place. And the blood would spurt out from the veins. 
whether it be a hand or a foot, and if he gouged an eye out, how horrific, and everyone would wince and turn away or try to run to the rescue. That's how bad this is. When we really sit down and think about this, even to watch something like that on a video would turn your stomach. We would think it's hellish even. Many will wince and grimace and with self-distortion on their face at the, the thought of such a horrendous action. Yet, brothers and sisters, yet, even though they wince and grimace, and their faces, yours would be and mine would be, would be distorted to look at this, even to turn away from it. I can't even bear to even think about this, let alone to watch it happening. Yet, people... Turn away from the cross when we speak of the blood of Christ. Yet people think nothing and think little of Christ dying for them on the tree of Calvary. Yet men and women, they walk past, as it were, the cross all the time. They walk past the great love of God and they think nothing of it. They think absolutely nothing of it. It doesn't affect your heart. Many even Christians, it doesn't affect your heart. Our hearts have become hard and calloused and so used to singing and hearing about the cross and all its miseries and uglies. And yet we turn away. We all do take it for granted. But if we were to say, oh, here, cut off his hand or his foot and throw it away, pluck out, gouge out your eye, we would be screaming with disgust. We'd be shouting and we would be yelling for justice and mercy for the person. And yet there's no justice or mercy that's even thought about or asked of for Christ. None whatsoever. And we come in the doors of the church and come to the meeting and walk out the same way without our hearts touched at all by the wonders of Calvary. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 speaking of 750 years or so down the road prophesies as though he's standing beneath the cross looking upon the bleeding suffering dying Christ and he writes but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Oh, with the stripes, we are healed. Oh, how can you look at him and feel nothing for it? How could you even get a glimpse? When Isaiah stood, as it were, He's known as the fifth evangelist, even though he's hundreds of years before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's looking at the crucified Christ. 
Someone once asked the question, why the cross? Why such a disturbing death? Why the cross? You know, the English word excruciating, it's Latin for out from the cross. Do you know that? When you're in excruciating pain, the Latin word is excruciating, means ax out and crux is cross, excruciate, crux, ax crux, excruciating. And it means out from the cross. Oh, the suffering pains of Christ. Excruciating. Why the cross? Why would God require such a horrendous, barbarous way for his son to bleed and die? Was the question that was asked, and the reply was this. The horrific nature of the cross stands to remind us of the gross offenses of our sin. That's what God thinks of your sin. Please get it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you here. And get it. And change your life. Why such a cruel implement? A barbarous, torturous tree. Because the horrific nature of the cross stands to remind us of the gross offense of our sins. And that's what Christ took for you and for me. That's how God sees you, friend. Not to offend you. I'm not a stumbling block. I'm hoping I'm a stumbling block on the road to hell for you. Not to offend you. But that's why God sees the man and woman who are not yet saved. The man and woman who have never given their life over to Christ. The gross offense of our sins can be measured on Calvary. So in Matthew 18, verses 7 to 10, we have one hand, one foot, and one eye removed, and one hand, one foot, and one eye left. Just turn with me, if you will, again, please. Lord Jesus says in verse 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands and two feet be cast into everlasting fire. Now, Jesus is saying this. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now be careful to understand this this evening, please. Be careful to understand this. This is important. Cutting and casting your hand or your foot and plucking out your eye, that is, removal of those things which are causing you to stay away from the Lord, the coming 
to know Christ as your Savior. Getting rid of those things even. I want it, I want it to, be, to be certain here. Cutting off, as it were, whatever they represent, the hand, the foot, and the eye, and casting them from you will not save you. Because we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. But stay with me. They will not save you, nor will it even stop you sinning. Listen, a man with one, with one foot can still sin. A woman with one hand can still sin. And a man or a woman with one eye can still sin. Won't stop you sinning. You can never make yourself perfect before God. It takes the blood of Christ. But that which may hinder you, be a stumbling block to you, impede you, an offense to you, cause you to fall, all of that must go. You're not even getting your, as we would say, your ducks in a row that you might, well, I'll go home and I'll put things in place and maybe someday I'll receive Jesus. You're not promised that day and there's nothing you can put in place before you come to Christ. Nothing. But if someone has been stopping you, someone has been hindering you, impeding you, the idea is, Move out of the way from them and come to Christ. If His Spirit has been speaking, the witnessing effect of the Holy Ghost. Let nothing, let no one block you today, nor impede you. Listen, cut them off. If it's a man and he's impeding you, cut him off. A woman, cut him off. Your soul is more important than him and her. Whatever it is, don't let anyone, don't let anything drag you to hell with them. Cut them off. Amputation. Amputation can be a life-changing experience, affecting your ability to move as ably as you did once before. Continuing pain is after amputation. Phantom limb phenomena, where you still think you have a limb, still think you have that foot or that hand, Phantom limb phenomena and emotional trauma may be very real to some people who have gone through literal flesh and blood amputation. But it can be life-saving. But it can be life-saving. So likewise, spiritually speaking, spiritual amputation May well, may be all that we think and feel as everything is unnatural because it's spiritual. The symptoms may be similar. 
but the results are significantly superior and are for our eternal benefit. Puritan George Swinnock said these words, Examination will help the Christian that has fallen and bruised himself to heal the wound whilst it is fresh before it is festered. Maybe there's a hurt Christian, a disappointment Christian. Maybe there's a a disillusionment's happened in your life. Maybe the church has failed you. The pastor's failed you. The elders have failed you. Another Christian has failed you. Whatever it is. And there's disillusionment in your life and you've been hurt and you need healing. But it's been dragging you down. It's been hindering you. Cut it off. Don't let it hinder you anymore. Don't allow it to rule your life anymore before it festers. One hand, one foot, one eye. The hand speaks of labor, of works, fellowship, even membership. For example, we have the hand that works, labors, reaches, grabs. And the foot speaks of our walk, where our feet take us, the path we would trod upon, the lives that we live, even membership of the body of Christ. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, tells us of the list, pardon me, of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, of the list of the body of Christ and the hand, the foot, and the eye, and the ear. And we're all different. But it talks about where we, where we walk. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, again back to this old prophet, and in verse 2, it says these words in verse 1, actually, get into verse 2, says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above them stood the seraphims, each one having six wings, and with twain they covered their feet. Notice, with twain they covered their feet. With twain they covered their face, as it were, and with twain or two they did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah seen Christ on the throne before he came to Calvary. Why did they cover their feet? Why did even the seraphim, these holy angelic beings, these creatures, cover their feet? Because in the presence of holiness, they had to cover their feet lest they dare say where they were. Even in his presence, even though we're holy angels and serving him, we will cover our feet. We will cover our face because we dare not look on the brightness of his glory. And with two wings we will fly as though we are ready to serve. Speak the word only. You think of the day when you and I would stand before his presence. We hear debates and talks about the coming of the Lord. We know he's coming. 
hear debates about it and what manner he'll come in and when he'll come, if he'll come and where he'll come and all these sort of things. And we know that he's coming. We agree in that. Brothers and sisters, people think this is a picnic when Jesus comes. It's going to be all lovely. It's going to be horrendous. He's coming as a man of war. He's going to destroy every Christ rejecter. wonder what story their feet will tell, where they have lived and been, where their feet have taken them, maybe the feet that were swift, they shed innocent blood, as the scriptures say. I'm rounding this to a close. Thank you for your attention. And the eye speaks of the gateway to your soul. Listen to Job 31 and 1. I have made a covenant with mine eyes. <laughs> I have made a covenant with mine eyes. The idea is, Lord, my eyes are single. Job ends up, he's two eyes, but he's only one eye. Job could look through a keyhole with both eyes at the same time. He's looking, as it were, covenanted with his eyes to God, the Almighty he's called through the book. Proverbs 6, verse 12, says, A naughty person and a wicked man. By the way, just I'm not going into this now, but the naughty person and the wicked man seems like someone's naughty. You know, you hear of a child being naughty. That's not the way it reads here in the, in the, in the original text in the Hebrew. This means someone who is a man or a woman of Belial. They're of Belial. They're debased. I don't know why they put a naughty there. These people are debased and wicked, he says. A naughty person and a wicked man walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. There's your hand, your foot, and your eyes. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly he be broken without remedy. Suddenly. Suddenly. Lovely lady last Lord's Day. Saved woman. Known her for years. She in church last Sunday and she dropped dead. Suddenly. She dropped dead. 76 years of age. Just dropped. But guess what? She was saved. She's in the hands of the Lord. So I want to finish with this. Matthew 18, verse 7. Listen to the Lord Jesus. Woe unto the world. Tell you what, let's read verse 7 together. Will you read it out loud? I want you to hear this because this is important and this just really hit me. Not many times I've read this and spoke about this. This is all new tonight. But this really jumped at me when I read this. I'm going to close it with this. Let's read Matthew 18, verse 7 together. Ready? 
Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must be these be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Now listen. The offense here. See the woe to the world. It is a cry of pity that the Lord says. Jesus is the speaker. It is a cry of pity for a world in danger. There are many stumbling blocks to impede and hinder the people that cause them to misjudge even their time and others. The hurt of conscience is upon them. For it must needs be that offenses will come. And then he says, secondly, woe to that man, woe to the world. Now woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. I was looking this up and I'd never seen this before until yesterday when I was writing this. Do you know one of the words that some of the commentators had used here? The influencer. All you young people, that's a word used today. TikTok. Hey, I'm hip now, I know what that means. Kelly asked me a while back, I couldn't have told you. TikTok. Whatever else, I don't know what else is after that. The influencers. People who influence you. There's a world being held back, especially young people. A world of young people being influenced, old and young, but young people especially. These influencers and they're social media influencers. They're social circle influencers. They're social governments who are influencing us. There are socialist lobbyist groups and there's a social gospel. In other words, the social gospel now has got to the point where the betterment of society equals salvation. Influencing the churches, the Christian. If we look after Mother Earth, as they call it, then surely that adds to something for our good works. Cut it off, brother! And cut it off, sister! Pluck out the eye, friend! And cast it away from you. Theological liberalism in this social gospel. All do-gooder and no salvation, but they think they are. And now the ministers are afraid to preach the word. And some pastors are afraid to say what the word says. woman came to me in church this morning and said don't hold back don't hold back I said thank you I usually don't and she knows I don't she knows that but she says to me don't hold back 
brothers and sisters and friends tonight, what is the stumbling block that's caused you offense? Oh, well, what you said about the climate at the end, that's a stumbling block to me. No. That's a stumbling block that needs cut off because that's what's holding you back. A social gospel that tells you everyone will be fine. Let's all love one another and accept everything in the church. Let's all get together and we'll do all right. Let's ecumenize. No. It's not what this says. This says, Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. That's what that says. And whenever I get to stand before God on that day, he's going to say to me, well, son, what about this? There's churches at the minute. And they were having discos in their church recently. And I'm talking about as a service. We've seen them before having races around the seats where they clocked each other on. Not so long ago there was one says, come and have a curry night and there's a magician coming on the Lord's day. On any day. about this? Who's your influencer? Who's your influencer? Your stumbling block. Who's your influencer? Do you want to know my influencer? That's my influencer. That influences me every single day to walk right with my God. That influences me every single day, through every single trial, through every single happening. That influences me and it points the way. Now tonight, are you influenced by God and His Spirit? Are you influenced by something else? If your hands offending you, or your foot, cut it off. Cast it away. Or if thy eye doth offend thee, pluck it out. It means to guide it out. Get it in. Might be hard. Makes you have to get rid of it. Oh, I'm going to have to not listen to that to stop me coming for salvation to Christ. Then guide it out of your life. Your unbelief is a stumbling block. It's a hindrance. Guide it out. Christ. Team, would you come up, please?